You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Iran says SCADA malware wasn't the cause of petrochemical industry fires. France, India, and Australia investigate theft of submarine design data. Citizen Lab's investigation of iOS spyware renews debate over cyber arms control. The shadow brokers haven't yet got their half-billion dollars, but their leaks chill U.S.-Russian relations and prompt both election fears and concerns over zero-day disclosures. U.S. prepares to revise its anti-ISIS social media operations. A security firm gives its medical device vulnerability research to a hedge fund, hoping to profit from selling the affected company's stock short. And fisher folk in at least two states should be alert lest they find themselves in a social engineer's creel. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 29, 2016. Iran says a recent series of fires at its petrochemical facilities were not the result of a cyber attack. Official sources report that such facilities had sustained attempted attacks, but those attempts were unsuccessful and unrelated to the fires they sustained earlier in July of this year. Brigadier General Golam Reza Jalali, chief of Iran's civil defense organization, said his organization's inspections of SCADA software discovered, quote, inactive viruses in one or two petrochemical complexes, end quote, and that the infections were remediated without incident. He also observed that at least some of the malware came pre-installed with industrial control systems purchased abroad. India, France, and Australia continue to investigate theft of design documents related to the Scorpen family of submarines. The data belong to French shipbuilder DCNS, which has contributed to the design of Australia's related short-fin Barracuda class of diesel-electric boats. French investigators so far believe the theft was committed by a rogue DCNS insider. India is also a user of Scorpen-class submarines, with six boats building or in service. It's unclear so far where the data went or on whose behalf they were taken. The investigation occurs as Australian authorities work to shore up that country's cybersecurity. Of particular concern, and not apparently related to the DCNS breach, are reports of long-running Chinese intrusions into Australian government and corporate networks. The goal of the incursion, again, appears to be technical information on sensitive programs, thus industrial espionage. China's embassy in Canberra denies the whole thing, totally groundless and false clichés. Also, China's a big victim of cybercrime and cyber espionage, and not at all the bad guys here, says the embassy. 
Observers react to reports by Citizen Lab and Lookout of iOS zero days since patched by Apple, actively exploited by surveillance tools provided by Israel-based, California-owned NSO Group. Citizen Lab is particularly insistent that Ahmad Mansour, whose iPhone was found infected with Pegasus spyware exploiting the since-patched Trident vulnerabilities in iOS, was a legitimate human rights advocate and not a cat's paw for subversion or terrorism against the United Arab Emirates. Haaretz, among others, thinks the incident calls for closer scrutiny of what many are calling cyber arms dealers. It's worth reading the comments section on many of the articles. When an editorialist calls for restrictions on products like those the Citizen Lab report associated with NSO Group, within the first few comments, one sees an accusation that the writer is shilling for Vossener, the much disputed and still evolving cyber arms control regime. So the question of how threat actors might be controlled without impeding legitimate vulnerability research remains open. So does the question of what counts as a legitimate lawful intercept tool and what counts as a legitimate intelligence operation. Discussion of lawful intercept tools is reminiscent of long-running discussions that sought to find distinctions between offensive and defensive kinetic weapons. Discussion of legitimate intelligence operations has continued to turn on issues of vulnerability discovery and disclosure. The Shadow Brokers incident prompts many to see its leaked zero days as an object lesson in the unwisdom of hoarding as opposed to disclosing vulnerabilities. The Shadow Brokers are, as current consensus holds, a sock puppet for Russian intelligence services, who possibly operated with the assistance of a compromised insider, although how they got the material they're advertising remains an open question. The incident is regarded by many as an escalation of U.S.-Russian conflict to levels not seen since the Cold War. Concerns for upcoming U.S. elections, which may be vulnerable to both information operations and direct manipulation of electoral returns, prompt some gestures toward infrastructure protection from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. These gestures are not being universally welcomed by the states, many of whom sniff a federal incursion into their turf, and other observers question whether such measures as designating elections critical infrastructure will be on balance positive steps. Another issue regarding vulnerability disclosure cropped up late last week. Muddy Waters Capital, a hedge fund, shorted the stock of St. Jude Medical, Incorporated, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol STJ. The short sellers also announced that St. Jude's pacemakers and other related devices are, Muddy Waters says, vulnerable to hacking. The fund also suggests, quote, a strong possibility, end quote, that nearly half of St. Jude Medical's revenue will be lost over two years as devices are recalled and vulnerabilities remediated. Muddy Waters did not, of course, perform the vulnerability research itself. The hedge fund was approached, it says, by MedSec Holdings, a security firm focused on the healthcare sector. CEO Justine Bone told Bloomberg she thinks St. Jude can fix the devices, and she hopes they do so soon. She also told Bloomberg, in response to a question about whether MedSec would profit from the short, that her company's compensation is keyed to Muddy Waters' investment. She recognizes that their approach is non-traditional, but she said that she believed St. Jude has a record of brushing aside security concerns and that this justifies their unusual step of seeking compensation through investment as opposed to bug bounties. St. Jude Medical has been in acquisition talks with Abbott Labs. Many analysts think this incident likely to derail or at least delay any acquisition. Returning to information operations, the U.S. government is reported to be again rethinking its social media effort against ISIS. 
The fresh approach appears to be one of enlisting third parties in preference to using direct messaging against the caliphate. Finally, there have been two curious, similar, but probably unrelated incidents in which Fish and Wildlife Services in Kentucky and Oregon suffered breaches exposing personal data of game license applicants. In the Oregon case, one Mr. High is demanding ransom and threatening to leak the information. So if you're fishing in the Ohio or the Pacific Northwest, take care you don't wind up as some social engineer's catch of the day. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me is Marcus Rosschecker. He's the Cybersecurity Program Manager at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, Marcus, recently the White House put out a uh, presidential policy directive, I believe it's number 41. Uh, this deals directly with cybersecurity. Uh, fill us in. What is this about? So about a month ago, the White House issued PPD-41, which is called U.S. Cyber Incident Coordination. And it really tries to address one of the fundamental problems of cybersecurity, which is the question, who's in charge? And who's responsible for responding to a cyber incident in the government? Who do victims contact within the government once to become victims of a cyber incident? So this is what the PPD tries to outline. And it does it in a pretty straightforward way, I think. Um, it certainly sets forth some of the guiding principles um, for the federal government to in how to respond to cyber incidents. And then also establishes clearly the lead federal agencies that are going to be responsible in a cyber incident response. Uh, give us some examples. Who's, who's responsible for what? Um, the PBD kind of uh, breaks it out into 
different response areas uh, for a cyber incident. So you'll have a threat response area, an asset response area, and an intelligence support area uh, of responsibility. What does that mean? A threat response deals primarily with law enforcement, national security, so really how to investigate a cyber incident. And for that response area, the PBD says that the FBI will be the lead agency, the lead federal government agency to deal with threat response. The second area of response would be asset response. Um, For that, the PBD uh, 41 says that Department of Homeland Security is in charge. And what does that mean? Well, Department of Homeland Security in its asset response responsibilities is going to provide technical assistance to organizations, to victims. It's going to help them find some of those threats that are out there, uh, try to patch some of the vulnerabilities, uh, help with risk assessments, um, and then outlining some courses of action that uh, the victim or the organization might want to undertake in response to the cyber incident. So that's DHS, the Department of Homeland Security's job, according to PPD-41. And then finally, the last area of responsibility that the PPD outlines is the intelligence support area. Uh, And for that, it says the Office of the Director of National Intelligence is going to be in charge. And basically, we're talking about intelligence here, right? So uh, we're talking about increasing situational awareness across the board. Federal agencies should know what the threats are based on what the intelligence community knows uh, so that they can be better prepared for any kind of cyber threat. Has there been any any reaction to this so far? Is it, is it being positively received? I think anytime you try to provide more clarity, anytime government tries to provide more clarity in terms of what the roles and responsibilities are and who's in charge, I think that is always well received. Um, part of the PBD also says that the Department of Homeland Security will be responsible for submitting a national cyber incident response plan to the White House. Um, And I think that's going to take this PPD even a step further in terms of outlining some of those roles and responsibilities and and clarifying those roles and responsibilities for both uh, the government, the public sector, and the private sector in terms of what some of those roles and responsibilities are. So uh, we're going to see this National Cyber Incident Response Plan relatively soon. Um, In October, we're going to see a draft put out there for public comments so um, people can can comment on the draft. And then the final version will actually be submitted to the White House in January of 2017 or no later than January of 2017. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see what that response plan looks like, but I think it'll also help in terms of outlining those roles and responsibility and just clarifying the the effort that, um, that the federal government is going to undertake when it comes to cyber incidents. All right, Marcus Roshecker, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 